Good morning. There we go. See, Pastor, they can. They can hear. It's, uh, it is a privilege to be back here. Um, appreciate Pastor Dawn and Eric allowing me to uh, fill a different pulpit, uh, a little bit different than the street. Um, so I want to get started here. I know we're running a little bit behind, but I've, I've got a charge this morning, and I plan on honoring the Lord and uh, doing what I've been charged to do. So let's pray, and we'll get started. Father, we come to you this morning. In the name of your Son, Jesus, Lord, the only name by which we may approach the throne of grace. And Lord, I ask for myself, for your grace and your mercy to rightfully divide your word, to speak to your people at this point in time. Lord, I pray you would quicken our ears, our minds, and our hearts to receive your word and to not only receive it, but to to act out on it and um, let it affect every part of our lives. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So we will be in uh, uh, James chapter 4, verses 13 through 14 today. James chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. Encourage you to turn there, or in this day and age, it's weird to say, turn your Bible on. <laughs> my preference, as big of a nerd and techie as I am, my preference is still the, the Word of God, and written form. And I, would, I read an article this week, not to get sidetracked, but I read an article where, uh, about not letting the Bible just become another app on your phone, that this generation we're losing young people the ability to find their way through scripture because we're just used to clicking through like another app so don't don't fall into that trap but i want to speak to you in this passage before i do this morning um last week i where we live out 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 in the holler there's it's foggy in the morning a lot of times and so i'm usually up with the chickens and i don't have chickens yet my little man wants them but so we'll have them soon but it's up early and I'm over to work, and it's kind of foggy and dark, and it was actually a little later than I usually leave earlier, but it was a little after, probably 6, and, and I come around the turn, and I catch something out of the corner of my mind. I'm always watching for deer, because the deer are very bad on our road, and it was this young girl, probably 12, 13, and, I, and what I saw was her backpack jumping, and she's running, and I'm like, what in the world is a girl that young going out like at, at daybreak, when it's barely daylight, what is she doing running down this road, and I slow down kind of went around and just kept going and about a mile up the holler I saw why she was running she had missed the school bus and uh, no matter no matter how hard she tried no matter how hard how hard she was running and she wasn't going to catch that bus it was already a mile ahead of her and it was going to continue she missed her opportunity and, and many people in this world today live their lives in that exact same way and then a spiritual sense someday they're going to end up like that girl. And so let's go to the text and see what the Lord has for us today. James chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. This morning I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. It says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. 
It's the word of our Lord. James begins this passage, and in context here, James is speaking to the Jewish people. He is speaking to the, the Jewish hearers, and when he says, come now, uh, come now, it's a, it's a word of, of, of like saying, get this. James wants their attention, and he is wanting to speak. It's a, it, it goes to the seriousness of what James is about to say. He's about to say something, and he wants his hearers to get this. He says, get this. Come now. Hear this. And so there's a seriousness to it. And what that proceeds is a a quote, is a statement, okay? And it says, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and we'll trade and make profit. And when he's speaking to these Jewish people... He's using a very practical example. In these times uh, of, of the Jewish folk that James speaking to, uh, it was a very practical example to use travel, just like in culture today. A lot of people travel. We travel places. We go places. Um, you, you know, I, my mind is drawn to thinking of some, some, some folks in Scripture. Think of Priscilla or Aquila or, or even Lydia. There, there's a traveling. So he's using this example, something that, that, that can speak to these people at this time. And he's, he's making this point here. And, and so he's relating to his, his, his audience that way. And what we need to understand here is not the issue of what is said. The, the quote that he gives us of, 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 a, of a plan, it's not what is said that is the problem, but it's what is not said that is the problem here. It's what is not said. Now, now let's, let's start off here. We see there's a plan here. It says, today or tomorrow... We're going to go to such and such place. So whoever James is talking about is saying this. They've already know, they got an idea of where they're going to go. And they got an idea of how long they're going to be there. And they, they have it all planned out. They're going to make profit. And this is wise planning, right? God's not against wise planning, is he? He tells us that in, in Proverbs 6, uh, verses 6 through 8, we see the plant, we see the ant and the sluggard, right? The ant, the, the, the ant is, is, is uh, um, representing the planner, the sluggard, the lazy person who has no regard for anything. Look at Proverbs 27, verses 23 through 27. We see it talks about the, the shepherd and the flock and the taking care and, and, and the maintaining that. The, the lesson they're encouraging us to pay attention to our finances, Right? So, so it's not wrong to plan. So what's James getting at here? Planning is a, what's a wise thing. But again, it's not what is said, but what is not said. And, it, and I'll even go as far as say, and it's not about money either. God's not, God, it's not against, it's not a sin to be wealthy. God's not against you being wealthy. The Bible teaches this, the love of that money that gets you into trouble, that greed. And I, I just put a footnote here in, in, in applying to my life and the, what we were talking about earlier is that if God allows you to increase and to be more blessed, <clears throat> excuse me, for your income, he's only allowing you to be wealthy to grow his kingdom. He's only allowing you to be wealthy to do things to help grow, not that he needs your help, but he's giving that opportunity to you. And what a great role you could play and what an opportunity to be an ambassador, wants to be a rebel outside of of the gospel, to be brought in and converted, to be an ambassador of Christ. And and to do that, there's there's a couple I know very well in in, in the Shinston area, runs a body shop. And uh, I'll just give him a shameless plug. Rick White has his name. He's a, he's, he's a great brother. And if you want to see a, an example of a Christian businessman, uh, that brother, I'm telling you, he's, he's from his work to his personal life, 
They, they are some of the most generous. I used to go to church with them, and they're some of the most generous folks. I mean, he makes all kinds of money. He's busier than he has to turn contracts away from the state police and other places at one time because he, just, he didn't have time. He's just too busy. He doesn't have the manpower to handle it. But he is one of the most generous men you've ever met, met and, and they use it for the kingdom. And, and even his Christian character comes through in his secular work, the way he stands, he stands behind his work and sets him apart from the, the, you know, the average body guy that will try to you know, cut corners here and there. And so it just, it's just an example, but not to get off track, but God allows us to accumulate that wealth to grow the kingdom. So it's not what is said here that is so bad that we'll go here and we'll make a profit and, and to plan this and do this, but it's what's not said. It's what's not said. That's the problem. What's missing from that statement? What's missing from that quote that James gives? That, that, that James gives. What's missing from that quote? It says, today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. What's missing out of there? What's missing? God. God is what's missing out of there. God is what's missing. There's no mention of God. There's no mention of planning for God. There's no mention of doing it for God's glory. There's no mention of anything that would indicate that this would honor God. There's nothing. Nothing there. Nothing at all. But, but it sounds confident, doesn't it? We're going to go here. And we're going to stay for, for this amount of time. And we're going to go here. And we're going to make profit. And we're gonna, all these plans are laid out, right? And it's very confident. But this is a confidence that's going to fail. And you're going to see fail miserably here in a moment. Many times, we don't even see this coming. To get in this mindset, right? We're saturated with television and radio and movies and this and that. It's the world pulling us into this lull, into this sleep, into this, into this moment where, where, where it gets us just enough into a euphoric moment to take our eyes off Christ. You get a like a new job or a new raise or something, and what's what's immediately the flesh rises up. Well, I could use a new truck, or I could use a new this, or honey, can we can we do you see what I mean? And you gotta fight that flesh up, crucify that flesh, and say, No, 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 I have what I need. What can I do for the kingdom? How can I press forth? And and and, and keep your eyes on Christ. But it's that fixation the world pulls us and it pulls our eyes off the supernatural and pulls our eyes to the natural. It pulls our eyes off of our eternity and the internal implications and it puts our eyes on the now and it puts our eyes on the temporal things. That's the trap. And, 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 so, and so which one do you think we should focus on? I'm on Team Eternal. I want to do things that are, that are, that are going to affect my eternity, right? And, and, and we even see this in the church today. This is rampant in the church. It's, 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 we, 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 now, it's not put out like that. It, 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 comes in, in, it comes dressed up where pastors dress it up like this. They'll say, well, you know, friend, you've got a great life. You've got a great wife. You've got a good job. You've got a nice car, man. You've got a family. You can look at your house. you got it made. Now, all you need for your life to be complete is you just need Jesus. I say foolishness. That's, black. That's upside down. It's like we've got this perfect thing, and, and we just need Jesus as a little cherry on top to make our life complete. Friends, that's backwards. That's upside down. 
If you don't have Christ, if you don't have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, if you have not surrendered, I'm not going to say accept, but if you have not received him as Savior, he doesn't need your acceptance. He's Lord. We need his acceptance. And if you haven't received him as Christ and turned from your sin, you have nothing. Nothing. Regardless what your bank account says, regardless what your social status says, you have nothing, friend. You have nothing. And, 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 and that kind of line of thinking comes from what James is saying here. What are you planning? You're, you're leaving out the most important thing, which is God. Which is God. It's, it's the opposite. I mean, we're talking about God. We're talking about not this little God that is, that is taught in many pulpits. A big God. I'm talking the Alpha, the Omega. The beginning, the end, the one who came as, as, as the spotless, sinless, innocent Lamb of God. And he comes back as the Lion of the tribe of Judah to judge the living and the dead. That's the God we're talking about. And that's the God. This is the creator of the universe. This is the God who owns cattle on a thousand hills. It's not that you add him to your life. It's that he has to be the starting point, the bedrock, the foundation, lest you build your house on sand. So, 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 so this verse here, how does this apply to us? I'm going to give you some stuff in between. The first point, and I'm really not a three points in a poem and a prayer kind of typical pastor, but, 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 but the first point would be faith. The point number one, if you're, if you're making notes, if it's your faith. How, I want you to think about how your faith, what does this say about a professing believer in Christ who does this? Who plans like this? Well, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to go here, and this is going to happen, and, and, and so on and so forth. What's that say about your life? What does that say a professing believer in, in the example James gives us? What does it say about it? Because to me, it looks like the opposite of the way we're supposed to live in faith. That one who lives and plans and puts confidence in plans without God being at the front and God being at the center and God being the one who is honored. What does that say about your faith? It looks to me, friend, as a, as a, as a stark contradiction of what a believer should look like versus their actions. True and saving faith submits completely to God. If you just back up a little bit, right there in verse 7, in, in the same chapter, what's it say? It, it, it says right there, submit yourself therefore to God. Submit yourself therefore to God. If you're here today and you're a believer, submit yourself to God. Submit there is, is the same word as like a commander talking to the, the, the soldiers back in those days. Submit, fall in the line, come under authority. That's what the word submit there means, to, to, to fall into line. And we see submission all through the Christian life, right? We see, we see Jesus in Luke 2.51, Jesus submitting to his, the authority of his parents. Christians called to submit to the government, Romans 13.1. Or, or the church called to submit to Christ, Ephesians 5.24. And on and on, we see this, 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 this submission as part of the Christian life. So if you're, 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 you're living in this, this style, when you're, you're living with this mindset that I'm going to go do this, and I'm going to plan this, and I'm going to make this, and do that, and, and God is nowhere in that. Friends, that, that, that sounds like a, a red flag that we should maybe do some, some soul searching, or as an old pastor once told me, a checkup from the neck up is what he called it. That, that, you, that you would do some consideration and, and, and look at your life uh, to Christ. So the first application of this goes to our lives considering our faith. How is your faith? I want you to ask yourself these questions this morning and reconcile them with God. How is your faith? How is your walk with God? 
Do you, do you think uh, of God when you lay out your... I'm not saying it's wrong to make plans. But do you think about God? Is, is God this considerator? He's just a secondary cause. You're going to go do all this and do that. And then I'm going to put a little cap on Okay, God, please help me do that. Right? Teaching God like a, like a genie in the bottle. Or do you just have so much confidence in yourself that you know you can do this? Now, now think about this for a minute. We're talking about life. We're talking about... Think of how many things can go wrong. And, 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 and I read this example, and, and, it, and it, it, it really puts it into perspective. I think about this. Pretend you have 10 pennies. Take 10 pennies, right? Get a little Sharpie and write 1 through 10 on each one. You know, write 1, 2, 3, and sequential 1 through 10 pennies. And you take those pennies and put them in your pocket and give it a good shuffle and a good jingle. And, and, and just mix it around for a while. And then I want you to draw them out. And try to pull them out in sequence, one through ten. One through ten. The way you put them in. So, so you draw one out and, and get one. And you put it back in. You shake it up. You try to pull them out. And two. And on and on and on. And, and, and let, let me just, just frame this little numbers here. Your chance of drawing out one by itself the first time is one in, one in ten. Right? Your chance of drawing out one and two, one, two, in succession is one in a hundred. Your chance of drawing out one and then two and then three in succession is one in a thousand. And your chance of drawing out one and two and three and four in succession is one in ten thousand and so on. So you get to the point where your chance of drawing one through ten in succession would reach the unbelievable figure of one in a billion. One in a billion. Now, why do I tell you that? If you can't deal with 10 pennies in sequential order in your pocket, how are you going to confidently plan things with the complexity of this world and everything that could possibly happen around you? You can't deal with 10 pennies and you're going to make plans like that? Do you see? You see? We, we, we can't in the Bible. There's a proverb that talks about that. It says there's a way that seems right to man. What's the rest of that say? And the end leads to death. Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way that seems right to man. Many people have a plan. Many people have everything planned out, but they haven't considered these things. And and it's something we do every single day. And then James, to put a finer point and to really just hunker down on this, in the very next verse, he goes, and this is the part you have to get, and this is the part that can mean eternal joy or eternal tragedy, maybe for you, maybe for a loved one, or maybe for a stranger who you're commanded to share the gospel with in in, in Scripture. And And he says this in verse 14. Here's what he says. He ends the quote, and then it interrupts there, and it says, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. And what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time. And then what? Vanishes. You vanishes. He says, you do not know. You do not know. Look at that. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. I want you to hold your finger there and turn with me for a minute. And this is what it kind of seems that maybe reminds me, James, here. I want you to turn, turn backwards, look at a few books, back to the Gospel of Luke. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verses 16 to 21. And I know many of you know this story. Luke chapter 12, 16 to 21. And when I read this, I want you to be thinking about this verse in James. And think of how this goes together. James is saying, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Think about that. James is admonishing. He's warning. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. And now think of this in 
Luke chapter 12, verses 16 to 21. This is Jesus speaking. And he told them a parable saying, Jesus tells them, he says, The land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my, many, and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and not rich towards God. Now think about that for a minute. Just like this passage, there's a plan to go to a place, spend a certain amount of time, do this and do that and a profit. And then James says, wait a minute. You, you don't even know about what tomorrow is going to bring. Just like the rich fool in that parable there in, in Luke. He's, he's, he's got the world on a string, he thinks. He's making money, he's doing this, he's got crops, and he doesn't want to take up any more land, so he wants to tear his barns down and build bigger ones on the same amount of land to store more stuff. And not just his crop, it also says his goods. He says, my crops and my goods. He's got other stuff, right? He's got all this stuff and he wants to store, and everything's going on, he's just cruising along, and then, what's Jesus say? Your soul is required of you now. Or in modern terms, game over. Game over. You do not know. You do not know. It's a sudden call. And he continues to put a fine point when he references tomorrow. We see that in Proverbs 27, right? Proverbs 27.1. You're warned don't boast about tomorrow because you don't know what the day will bring. You don't know what the day will bring. Don't worry about tomorrow. Jesus, I believe it's in Matthew chapter 6 where he talks about being anxious. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. If you're trusting in the sovereignty. You see, friends, this is a direct slant, a direct jab at the sovereignty of God. Of the God who is in control of everything. That nothing takes him by surprise. But that you're planning like you have that sovereign mindset. Like a person who plans these things to go these places and do these things and do this without regard to God. It's like you're putting yourself on his throne. And you're assuming you have that sovereignty that you know that how you plan and what you want to do and when you want to do it. It's all going to fall in line the way you plan it. You know, friends, I, 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 I learned something a while back. And, 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 and I, I say it this way. If you want to make God laugh, time you've got to plan. Time you've got to plan. <laughs> it, it, it always works out that way. And, and, and James, he uses a particular word to describe our lives here on earth. Here's what he says. He says, you're like a, like a mist that appears a little time and then vanishes. That word mist, we see it used in Acts 2 where it talks like a, a puff of smoke or a vapor. You know, it won't be long. We're, we're already almost into September. Here in about another month, right? That crisp fall air is going to roll in here at West Virginia. And the leaves are going to change. And you're going to get up in the morning and go to work or go to school. And you're going to what? You're going to... You're going to see your breath, and just as fast as your breath appears, it disappears. And that, that's, that's, the, that's, the visual, that's the visual he's giving, uh, the, the visual that that's how fast, that's how fast your, your life, that, that description here. I, I want to give you a description here of, of, of how our life is a vapor and how fast our life goes. I, I surveyed some, some different passages in Scripture, and I just want to run through them. You're not going to be able to write all these down, but see me afterwards if you want them. But, but, but this is how fragile your life is. This is how quick your life is over. We just had a testimony from your pastor. In a moment, in a moment, 
he was transported to, to a hospital by God's grace. God, God gave him, extended his days. But in a moment, you want to talk about how fast life can come? Ask him, he can tell you. In a moment, I want you to listen. Our lives, how fast they go, like a vapor. They're like a flower that passes away, James 1.10. Like a weaver's shuttle or a breath, Job 7, 6 through 7. Swifter than a runner or like an eagle swooping on its prey, Job 9, 25 to 26. Or it withers like a flower and it flees like a shadow, Job 14, 1 through 2. That, that our lives are like a few hand breaths, Psalm 39.5. Our lives are, time is short, Psalm 89.47. Our lives are so fast, they're swept away like a flood, Psalm 90, verse 5. And our lives are gone too soon. Psalm chapter 90 verse 10. And there's plenty more. All through scripture. Scripture gives us how to live and how to live, live abundantly. Right? Through Jesus. And, and these warnings are all through scripture. And we just chuck them out. And, and, and don't live our, we live our lives in the shadow of these scriptures guided by them. And the second thing. So the first part of that talks about your faith, how you're going to live your life, how your witness is going to be, how are you going to walk? And then the other two points is this, the points two and three points two is this will affect how you live vertically. And by vertically, I mean you and God, right? You and God. When th this is vertically, how does this affect your life vertically, one to one, knowing that there's many complexities and there's an infinite number of possible outcomes? Think about it. When you walk out this door, there's a million things that could happen. You could go on as a normal Sunday and everything would be good, fine. You can go on a normal Sunday, have a flat tire, which could cause this, this. There's just so many millions of complexities that could happen. But that we have to live with a full reliance on God. Because when you live with a full reliance on God and a trust on God and a belief on God and trusting in His sovereignty, whatever will be, will be. Case or right? Like the old song. What will be, will be. Because God's in control. I'm not. You know, it's kind of like you're driving down the road. You got the wheel and you're turning, you're, and you're doing that. And God's like, just let go. Get out of the way. I, I, I'm fully capable of this. I've got this. And it's when we, it's, it's, it's kind of like, and I've seen this in my life. When, when I want to do this and I want to do that. And God, by his grace, is just wrangling me. It's kind of like, kind of like, a, like, like my little man when he was about two. And he didn't want to go in that car seat. And he's fighting and he's kicking and he's yelling and his feet and elbows are where his neck should be and body parts are everywhere. And you're wrangling like a drunk octopus trying to put him into this car seat. And he doesn't want it and he feels the straps come on and he's yelling. Arr! But you're doing that because you know he needs protected from what might come down the road when you're driving. And sometimes isn't God in his providence, right? What's Hebrews say? He disciplines those he loves. But, but that sometimes God does that. But if we're, if, we're, if we're blessed, he does that. But we must live to know that he is sovereign. He is in charge and we're not. We, we should plan our lives like that. Go ahead and plan. But make sure you do to the glory of God. Make sure you do with God as your focus. And that, and that, that type of living, that is another evidence of salvation. So many Christians profess Christ and then they just go on living like the world. I talked to somebody last night on the street that was like that. Well, I mean, I can just do this. And then I said, no, friend. I said, the difference between a believer and someone that professes Christ 
is that somebody that professes Christ, that they're going to come and have some kind of religious experience, get goosebumps, the hair on their arms raises, they maybe have a few tears, and they go on living the way they were. A true believer, yes, they will sin. Sadly, they'll sin. But when they do, there's a brokenness that comes about them that drives them to their knees back to the cross, back to Christ for forgiveness. And it's a continued growth. It's called sanctification. That, to, so how do you live vertically? We read the scripture and it should make us focus on how we live vertically. How do we plan? What do we think of? What's important? Are we, are we living in that moment that any second Jesus could say, your soul is required of you right now. Right now. And if that would happen right now, are you ready? Are you ready? Or are you living your life because you've planned it the way you planned? And the third thing, the third point, the last point, and I'll close, is this. Is how you live. The first is uh, it affects your faith. It affects how you live vertically. And the third point is how you live horizontally. And perhaps this, as, as a person who's an evangelist at heart, this is the part to me. Because to live horizontally, how does this affect you living with your neighbor? What's the second greatest commandment, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. I was in, I was in Harrisonburg a few weeks back, and... and, and, and um, we were at a, the Shenandoah Valley Pride Festival. And I can tell you, it, it was odd. I've never experienced this. That when the question would arise, and they would come in groups and waves and those celebrating homosexuality. And they would come up and they would say, why do you hate us? Now part of that is because of the stigma that goes with open air preaching because there's many people out there that have no business on a, on a street corner preaching. They're just hateful people that want to get on YouTube in a video. But they asked that question. Now Jesus, when he was confronted with things and people made accusations, he, he, he didn't stray from his character. And so trying to be like my savior, I, I said, well, listen, I, said, I, I don't hate you. And they said, we mean, you know, they just kind of look at me and say, I love you because I'm commanded to love my neighbor. And that's why we're here. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to tell you that you're heading at breakneck speed for hell by embracing something God has deemed as sin, not me. And that I love you enough because the second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. And because I love you, I'm here to warn you. True love warns. And do you know they got even angrier when I told them I didn't hate them? It's kind of like they wanted you to hate them so they have something else to rare gnash their teeth at. And, and, and there's some other things. But, but, but safe to say that true love warns. And if you get this verse and you understand verse 14 that life is a vapor and you think about the internal implications for your neighbor, for your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your aunt, your uncle, your cousin, your co-worker. Are you really living, believing this? Do you, we, we shake our head when we're inside the comfort of these four walls. But when you're out in the world where we're supposed to be salt and we're supposed to be light, is this verse a reality? Do you look at your coworker and say, man, that guy could die tonight, could die, drop of a heart attack right now, and I know he's not saved. I know he needs Christ. What's it going to take for you to step away? Because listen, if we're just going to be honest here, the reason why we don't share our faith is pride. It's pride. We're afraid we may not know the right answer or we may look silly talking about Jesus. It's pride. Pride stops people from sharing their faith. So, so, so my, my question is, is, is verse 14 mean enough to you for somebody's eternity that you realize it's a vapor and you're here today and gone tomorrow? 
I think back to the example I started out with, right? That girl. Think about that. And when I was thinking about what, and I asked Eric, what, what do you want me to preach on? Are you in a book? Are you going through, you know, verse by, I like expository preaching verse by verse through entire book, however long it takes. And he said, well, whatever God, and I'm thinking through this and I'm thinking, and I was hearing this scripture and that scripture. And then I saw that girl and everything started clicking. I'm like, that girl was a living example. God gave an illustration of James chapter 14. No matter how hard the appointed time for her to get on that bus to have a ride to school had passed. And there was nothing she could do to change that. There's nothing she could do to change that. It, it, was, it was just, there was nothing. Nothing to sway that. Now think about that in an eternal sense. When people let this opportunity pass, they don't plan for anything. They don't plan for God. They're living for themselves. They're living for this world. Listen, I want you to think about, about this in more severe terms. Think about Lottie Belk. And I know nobody here knows who Lottie Belk is. Lottie Belk was celebrating her 55th birthday in Virginia Beach, Virginia, a couple years ago. While she was sitting there enjoying creation from the creator, a freak wind came, took a beach umbrella, and impaled her in the middle of her chest and killed her. Now, if I don't know who, I don't know her, but I can tell you this, that was a tragedy in the natural. In the supernatural, if she didn't know Christ, guess where she is today? But let me just... Let me just really put some. How about, how about the kids in the school shootings? How about these 15 and 16 year olds in high school that get shot? That's terrible. We'll preach their funerals, we'll have candlelight vigils. What about them? <laughs> they didn't know Christ. How about the University of Ohio student that was just in the news? Molly Tibbetts, out for a jog. Somebody with bad intentions jumps her from back and kills her. I don't, I don't know if she was Christian or not. I don't know. It's not the point. The point is, if she didn't. The point is that her life ended in a moment's notice. Do you realize that almost 160,000 people a day die on this earth every single day? Close to 160,000 people die. How many of those people you think planned on dying when they woke up that morning? Or how many of those people think you died when they went to bed that night, not knowing they were going to burn in a house fire that night? Or not knowing they were going to fall asleep and, and while their family member was driving and a drunk driver was going to hit them? Or not knowing that somebody was going to come in their workplace or school place with a gun and shoot the place up? Or not knowing that they were going to be given, you know, whatever. Name, name it here. Life is a vapor. Listen, there is nowhere in holy writ, nowhere in scripture does God have plan B. There's no plan B. There's plan A. You come to him through Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now there's no other, there's not a semicolon there with, or if you die accidentally, or if something you die this way. There's no, friends, there's no. This is the urgency we need to live with as Christians. This is the urgency we need to engage the world with. Because to know that life is a vapor, is a vapor. A moment's notice, you can be at a carnival when the ride collapse and you die. A moment's notice, the headlights come around a corner at you, left of center on the road, and you die. A moment's notice, you could be living life, loving life, 
gone. That's it. Jesus says your soul was required of you. Friends, this is, this is something that should drive us to our knees for God to continue to put us in positions and opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the lost and dying world. It should make us want to check our lives and our plans and our motives. And it, it should change everything of how we, we see and filter. That, that knowing that God doesn't have a plan B, that there, there, is no thing, there is no other way. And it's hard to think about it. Think about, think about people who have died. I mean, just, just let your imagination run for a minute. You know this, the wretched history of this world. Think about it. And while some people died of injustices, slavery, you name it. I, I'm just going to go way out on a limb here and say, and this I've never been able to wrap my head around. If I were to say to you a person that denies Christ as Savior, that denies Christ as the Messiah, that denies Christ as God, would you, as a Christian, would you probably agree with me that it's a lost person, right? And would you also agree with me that if that person died that way, believing that Christ was not God, that he was not the Messiah, what's going to, right? The Bible's clear. It's eternal. It's hell. Now think about how many people died in the Holocaust that were Jewish. Think about that for a minute. Have you ever thought about that? That stopped me in my tracks one day. If you were a person there and you didn't believe in Christ, you denied Christ, it was horrific what you went through. It was awful. It was evil. But does that evil override God's word? Does that evil override the prescription God has given for for repentance and faith if you deny his son if you deny me deny me before man I'll deny you before the father right deny think about that there's no plan B that's off track a little bit but there's no plan B we are here we are a vapor gone how are you going to live your life as a Christian and number two, how are you going to go and engage? How is that going to change? How is that going to change how you engage other people? I know I'm wired differently than some people. Pastor Don would probably tell you i got a few wires that are crossed. But I stand there on a street corner, and I see many people I used to go to. And I'm not judging. I'm not. I'm really not. But I, but I see so many people that are, that are Christians or professing Christians that I used to go to church with in church. And it's, they're just... And I'm not against having fun with your family and doing things. But if we look at it in the eternal sense, you got your head in the clouds, you're worried about the snow cone and the cotton candy, and people in your own community are right here in your backyard. They're dying and going to hell at breakneck speed. And, and you're just, you're okay with that? Listen, I, I'm nobody, but I'm somebody who's, I guess, just optimistic that that God will have mercy on, on, the, on, on the church in America. I get frustrated. My wife hears me yell about it and mumble and grumble about it. I pray about it. You know, this past weekend we were out there and I, I sent a message to three or four different pastors in this area, three of them whose churches are right there within a mile, two miles of 
downtown where we were. One, he already had plans with his wife, but still, I mean, there's other people in his church that could have came. But I promise you, within the next probably month, just because it's common speak in the church, we'll hear about going beyond the four walls, going beyond the four walls. But because that little festival downtown is not Guatemala or Venezuela or Haiti, and it doesn't require a, you know, a plane ticket and, me, and a person to be able to post all these pictures on Facebook of all the little orphanages they're building, it's not worth a while. It's not worthy. Listen, there's people in our community here that need Jesus. And I'm not against foreign missions. I absolutely support them. But there's people here. And don't talk to me about that until you're going to go. And I know this, I know who I'm talking to. I know some of you have been with us out on the streets. Isn't it amazing when God gives you that, that, that opportunity, right? And you just feel that joy in your heart. Not a prideful, but you feel that joy. That, listen, I just gave a gospel tract to somebody. Or I just had a conversation with somebody. And, I, I, and I, maybe God would use my feeble efforts to bring another one into the kingdom. It's like the missionary you talked about. I don't know if you know this, but that's where that song came from. I have decided to follow Jesus. It's not an Arminian song. It's not somebody decided they're going to follow Jesus. No, 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 no. It doesn't deny the doctrine of election and predestination. But friend, what you were talking about is, is, is that missionary was standing there. And, 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 and they, they threatened him. They threatened his wife. They, they killed him. They threatened the, his kids. They killed him. They threatened him. They killed him. But he never denied Christ. And it was because of that later on that caused more of those tri- indigenous tribes to be converted. And I believe it was his cousin or, or somebody down the line that actually turned that into a poem, into a song. And that's where he got that from. That's the blood that was spilled behind that beautiful hymn, I Have Decided. I know they played a lot of Billy Graham plays. But it's not an Arminian thing at all. It's... it's it's, it's at the cost of my life. I have decided I'm following Christ. You know, the cross before me, the world behind me. Though none, though none come with me, still I'll follow. It makes no difference. And that's how we have to live. We have to live that way. And when we live that way, we understand how infinitesimal and tiny of a blip in existence our lives are. And if we understand that, we understand if it's true for us, it's also true for our neighbor. And what are we doing? We're commanded to love our neighbor as ourselves. So that we know that before their vapor disappears, before their vapor evaporates, we need to do anything and everything we can to share the gospel with them. Leave it to the sovereignty of God. To so listen, I know it's nerve-wracking and you may be nervous doing it. Listen, do this. Listen, Eric and I and, and others, it may appear like, oh, those are the bold guys that get out and just, listen. He'll tell you just like I will. Both of us, both of us get nervous, get anxious. Sometimes we get beat down because you don't, you know, Friday night was horrible. Friday night there was people there and it was just so apathetic. He would just walk by. I have a friend, matter of fact, uh, in Ohio. That, well, he won't come to West Virginia to minister anymore. I said, why not, Mike? He said, everybody in West Virginia is already saved. Seriously, everybody's, everybody's saved. Oh, I'm good, preacher. I, I know, I'm good. But you know what? When you start feeling wore down and you start feeling nervous and you're not sure, you're ready, you're right up there to cross the line and you're going to talk to that person this week and you get nervous and you're, you're not sure about even what you say, just do what we do and rest your head on Isaiah 55, 11. Rest your head on God's word never returns void and rest your head on God's promise that it always accomplishes what he sets out to do with it. And you do that, friend, and you'll lay your head down at night knowing that though life is a vapor, here today, gone tomorrow, you'll know that you've been obedient to your Savior for his glory. 
and you leave it in God's hands. And I think we would all agree God's hands is a good place to leave someone, right? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for um, allowing us to spend time in your word. Lord, this, this world so full of persecution, not in our country, Lord, but in others uh, where it's life-threatening um, to, to say the name of Christ. Um, Lord, we thank you that we could gather here to speak these truths. Lord, I, I pray that these words would, would encourage and embolden your, your saints here to go beyond these four walls, literally, Lord, and, and share in our community. God, we, we, we live in such a broken world, and even our community right here, um, leading the nation in opioid addiction and drugs and, Lord, poverty and, and, and everything in between. Lord, there's so many things that, that pull, pull us away that when we find a moment of light, we start planning and we start making plans, Lord, and they're always void of you. Even the Christians, Lord, we, we make these plans. Lord, I'm guilty of this. And so, Lord, we, we ask you would help us to, to stay centered, to remember that, that Lord, our, our, our plans are, are, are nothing of any meaning without you that our plans are, are destined to fail if we trust in our sovereignty, if we try to take that away from you, which is impossible, but we would try to assume the role, Lord, and then we would think us sovereign of our own lives. Lord, there's so many infinite possibilities of things that can and do go wrong. Why would we want to trust our lives and our time, our souls, Lord, our neighbor's souls to anything but you? Lord, when we wake up here in the morning and as the air cools, Every time we see our breath, Lord, I pray you would bring this verse back in memory to these people. I pray they would think about their lives in that way. And they would think about their neighbors' lives in that way. Lord, I pray you would help us to, to live by faith and to faithfully live the way you've called us to. That we can't do anything, think anything, do anything, speak anything without considering you, God, first. And that that would also, God, be the fuel that drives our engines for evangelism. That that would be the fuel that would, that would put one foot in front of the other and take us a step closer and closer to the co-worker's cube or, 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 pull, or, or walking through a certain line at a department store to speak to somebody. God, maybe even a stranger. But the Lord to know that we want to love them as our neighbors so much that we care that they need to know this truth. Guide our hearts, Lord. Let us be mindful of you in everything we do. Let us go today and glorify you by the way we live and the way we treat others. Do it all for the name of Christ. Amen.